Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week I spoke with Melbourne political satirist and comedian Toby Halligan in a cafe in the fancy suburb of Melbourne known as Paran. Paran? Paran. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I'm not from Melbourne. We had had tea at a fancy cafe and it was lovely and uh, there's a little bit of background noise, some coffee machine stuff. I've just come back from this week in Melbourne. It was so nice to get away and just focus on my own stuff for a little while, focus on comedy. I really enjoyed everyone, everyone who I spoke to, everyone who came out, um, and all of the podcasts that I recorded while I was there, which will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, give, drop me a line on alicerfraser at gmail.com or look me up at alicecomedyfraser.com. This is the conversation I had with Toby Halligan in Melbourne. You're having tea with Alice. So what have you been up to? Uh, I've been at work um, at, on Le Projet, just upstairs. Oh. So we actually were in the kind so of the Kuma Centre. I do. I do know Mike Clay quite well, actually. Yeah. Primary school with him. Really? Yeah. Everything's coming together. We're in the same German class. <laughs> he's now at the ABC doing well, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's a gun. Yeah. No, he's a lovely man as well. Stayed at his and his partner's place during the festival. You're right. They said, oh, feel free to stay. And I was like, I want to stay for a whole month. And they were like, feel free to stay for the whole month. And I was like, can I pay you some money? Yeah. Because uh, otherwise I'd be a guest. Mm. And I wanted to be at the festival and, like, focus on that. And and so, like, paying them, like, not much, but a normal fee. It changes it, doesn't it? Like, it's funny with those little kinds of dynamic things where you realise with some friends you're crossing into territory... Do you know what I mean? Like where yeah. it's like, especially in comedy, because you're often having to ask people for favours. Yeah. And so there'll be people who, and, and often that's just literally the only way of advancing your career yeah. is to break social norms. Yeah. You have to go up to people and be like, hey, can, can you let me do this thing and like take a risk on me? And you don't really do that in any other, like yeah. obviously there are other careers where yeah. you do it, but comedy, you literally have absolutely... Hey, we like each other vaguely. Can yeah. you vouch for me? Can you put yeah. your reputation on the line yeah. can you I'll... can you contact this other person that I don't know at all and yeah. you know like you say risk yourself professionally yeah. on my behalf I mean I'm not going to give you anything I don't have any money to give you I don't have any things to give you I don't have any useful skills I'm a comedian I may never yeah and, and really we're also competitors in a way you know given that you know the, the top of the money tree and the comedy money tree which is a very broad tree yeah it's not a gum tree it's like one of those conifers that really broadens out at the base I think yeah, I think of it more as an uh, well, I think of it as an hourglass of opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so at the beginning, there's like a lot of people, yeah, uh, and you know a lot of opportunities, but no money. So mm. you like you can do an open mic night every night of the week if you want. Yeah. And then you get to this point where it's oh the payment uh, ah, mm. narrowing. Yeah. Uh, and then very few people get up past that. And then after that, it's like, oh, you could do radio or you could do script editing. You, or you expand do... into a variety of other spaces. Yeah, there's and... a bright future available. It, it kind of is like that, isn't it? I mean, the, the top is definitely obviously much, much narrower than the bottom. But I agree that is a good way of characterising it. And I think just the willingness to be patient in the middle 
And I guess to compromise often. To compromise, but not too often. Yeah. Because there's that thing of like, uh, I guess I'm, I'm in that phase at the moment where I went from most of my gigs not being paid to most now I'm, most of my gigs are paid, mm. but I'm still getting offered unpaid gigs. Mm. And I assume I will for the rest of my career be offered gigs mm. where it's like for charity or whatever. But mm. even so, now if someone offers me an unpaid gig, do I take it mm. or do I say, no, I'm worth more than that? Yeah. Like that's, because no one tells you. No, not at all. And those social calculations are, again, I think so complicated and so nuanced because it's always it is also always based on judging social dynamics where you have almost no information. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like like it'll literally be like someone will run a particular bar or they'll run a series of rooms and the amount of information you have about them depends on purely on the quality of your comedic network. Yeah. Based on what other people are willing to tell yeah. you about about other people. Yeah, and I'm not a good I'm not good I'm not a comedian because I'm good at people. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm not socially super adept. Absolutely. And I think I'm, I'm exactly the same. You know, like, I I am good with formulas with people. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I'm extremely analytical yeah. and and almost, almost academic in the way I approach a lot of things, which does not make me a natural networker in any way, shape or form. I do it um, now, and I don't do it often enough, but, like, if I can do it in a checkbox kind of way, yeah. then I can do it. Yeah. So if I have a list of, like, email this person, email this person, email this person, here's your template, then it's not me being, like... It's easier to email ten people than it is to email one person, mm-hmm. I think, for me, at any rate. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, because it's formulas, because it's just going through... But it's also turning it into a routine task, whereas the task of going to a night, working out who runs it, yeah. talking to them, befriending them, yeah. making them like you, yeah. is, it's not something you can think, like, you can't think rationally. Well, you can't figure out the chemistry. Like, you know, I don't know how it works, you know, like, literally, and, and I, I think that's probably true of most people. Yeah. I mean, like, very few people uh, can be that calculated about social relationships, and the people who can are weird. And then you also have to kind of get over personal dislikes as yeah. well, yeah. depending Absolutely. on where you are in the power spectrum. Yeah. Like I, there's a. Uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Off the podcast. Okay, cool. Because um, that, that's, 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 yeah, funny. Because that's strange behaviour. Because that stuff, I guess one of the things I learned really early well, he was on. was probably just having a bad day, right? Yeah. But still, but one of the, that kind of behaviour, it's why I think, because a lot of the people at the top of the comedy, like one of the perks of working at the project is you just get to meet, like, most of the people who are just at the top of the, yeah. the comedy profession. And, and I've got to say, they're all pretty nice. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, you have one or two encounters with people where the things are a little bit but whatever. But one of the things I've noticed is that generally the people I work with 
Oh, the comedians who've made it? Thank you so much. Wow, that's the biggest sandwich in the land. It's ridiculous. You can have half of it if you want. No, I'm alright, but I'm just impressed. It's crazily big, isn't it? And this is like $9. I think everyone else at the project hates this place, but I quite like it. Just because I love these kinds of sandwiches. For audio reference, it's like someone took two slices of a pizza out of bread and then like... It's a franken focaccia. Yeah. It's like a franken focaccia. Like an That's what inch I think of it. Meat is. and things in, in between. It's like it looks like Stephen Dank has been injecting like calves' blood into it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like that's what it looks yes. like. It this looks like this a, weird a sandwich on human mass, growth hormone. This bulging thing of horror. Which I mean, is funny because this is quite a, like a like it's a boulangerie. It's like a French very, you know, uh, delicate little welcome. pastries. Would you like to sample some of the tastes of France? And right. no, it's just this lump of, and it's what I like. I. I can't lie. I'm a bad, I'm a bad game. I, I wish I could be better at these things. Like, and I try to be. Like, I read about them and I try to like adopt like healthy smoothies. Like, I've been getting into blending recently. Oh, I've become yes. a blender. Yeah, and, but I blending like, is better than juicing because you keep the fiber. Yeah, it is. But I feel like every time I do some of this, like part of me dies as well. Yeah. Like, there was once a part of me who didn't really care about that stuff and was interested in reading and just relating to people as they are. Thank you very much. And being an interesting person and just learning new things. Thank you. Yeah. And I've now become this person who's more conscious of image and conscious of how people see me. And that is just, to a degree, it's a reflection of, I guess my friends have changed a little bit from uni and whatever, but it's also the fact that it just does matter. Like you learn, it just does matter. This is the thing now. So we get into the meat of the podcast. So I don't know if I've properly explained the podcast. No, no, not at all. I don't know whether this is what I've yeah, been doing. Yeah, no, it's good. It's um. I'm wondering why the left has ended up on the wrong side of the freedom of speech argument when it comes to this kind of like just morbid fear of diminishing someone's experience or victimising somebody through language. I love this because this is something... This is perfect. This is totally perfect. I am... Because this is something I obsess over a lot because a lot of my comedy, like, I do general... Just stand-up. I just write jokes sometimes. Um, A lot of it is political. But the stuff I really enjoy is actually stuff that's kind of about... That's kind of social commentary. And that's true of most comedians, I think. Um, But where I find most interesting and the stuff I enjoy the most is those kinds of interfaces between different cultures and different sexualities and and where people get enraged over gender and all those kinds of things and political correctness. I find all that stuff totally fascinating. And I think you're right. I think what happened in, like, the 60s and 70s was that as part of uh, identity politics, which kind of came out of universities... Yeah. and was originally like, you probably know a lot about this, a movement that was about the English curriculum and the artist, artistic curriculum, making the point that the reason why we value we value so much the work of white men is because we've just arbitrarily, culturally, you know, taken those eras, say the ancient Greeks or, you know, Shakespeare or all these periods and said, these are the best, let's hold them up. We need to... You know, the identity politics movement argue we need to introduce more diverse voices. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I yeah. think that's inherently a good thing. Western culture for a long time has been dominated by quite homogenous voices. Diversity is great. But that has now extended into 
the political realm where people who have an identity that is outside the norm and I say the norm very very much in brackets you know I'm a gay man and whatever so yeah. like I'm outside that norm but who are not perceived by society in general as average people yeah. um, feel they, as if they have an entitlement to respond to anything they perceive as an attack as and if it is an attack. it gives you the moral high ground. Yeah. That's the one that bothers me. Yeah. I think for anyone who doesn't think this is actually problematic, um, there's a Tumblr called Your Fave is Problematic. Your FAV is Problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this thing, and I, I read it this morning and I was a little bit shocked and a little bit upset by it. Mm-hmm. Because the person who does it is obviously on the leftist of the left thing, and she's always she still apologises for misusing words because that seems to be the protocol now. Is if somebody tells you that something that you've said offends their identity, no. you must immediately apologise yeah. for not having known enough. Yeah. Which is fair enough if that's the protocol. That's the protocol. But there's this one one. The, I don't think the it is the protocol though. I'll let you finish. But yeah is about the use of the term trans asterisk yeah. because trans woman or trans man was too exclusionary of people who are more uh, fluid than that. Mm-hmm. But now there are people who are offended by the use of the trans asterisk term because they feel it implies that they're not trans woman or trans man enough, yeah. that the inclusiveness is yeah. itself a kind of exclusion. It's, and, and I feel like and in I was large part... Like, wow. Yeah. I can't. How can you even have a conversation? How doing? can you have a conversation? Yeah. Like, how can you? And and, and the answer is, it's, you can, but it's a really boring conversation that excludes most people. That spends the whole time apologising for itself. How can? Where where do we, where do we? Like benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes out of just this suspicion that anyone who doesn't have the perfect kind of language or doesn't adopt exactly the same kind of language as you hates you in some way or wants poses a threat and it comes out of the fact that I guess trans people or other minorities actually legitimately do feel threatened by a lot of stuff that happens in the world because they are objectively discriminated against but so we have these bullshit debates about language. I think this is there's a wrongness in the idea that being made invisible is a threat Mm -hmm. like (laughs) there is there's obviously, you know, being excluded or deliberately excluded is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And not seeing other people like you can be a really alienating and strange thing. But we live with the internet now, so you can find people who are like you. Yeah. But to not... The idea that to not be acknowledged is a really dehumanising thing. Mm. Well, you don't agree? You, you think- I don't know if I agree. I don't know if I agree or not. I think... Because there's always going to be a subclass. Yeah. Like, I don't actually have a huge problem. Do you mind me asking you something? Do you think, is that an English perspective, though? And can I, can I say, I'm not having a crack there. English literature. Well, no, no, like, literally an English, the a idea British of the accepting, you know, the class system, that there will always be people in certain kinds of positions within society. No, I think there are two options. Either you acknowledge every class, or you erase class mm-hmm. so it's either but then but the, this is the complicated politics of identity because you're not allowed you are not allowed to just be a person it would be offensive in some way for me to call you just a person because then I'm denying the fact that you're a gay man mm. Mm. 
does that make like and I find that weird and upsetting yeah. can't you just take people on their own terms because obviously not obviously we can't because we have pogroms and because you re- like, yeah I guess and it's and it's because to that person their identity by a lot of other people I guess it's one of these working presumptions that whenever people have an interaction now we're so obsessed with ourselves that we forget that there's a whole shitload of other people out there out and about in the world that so that trans person who you've interacted with where you've used a term that they feel is insensitive yeah. and it's frustrating to them the thing that they're angry about is the fact that when they were going home on the tram a bunch of footy guys called them a faggot or punched them in the face or kicked them you know like we but I think middle class people educated middle class people and a lot of these debates are happening and just like most of most of the world doesn't give a fuck about them yeah that's the biggest problem I yeah. have with all of these conversations. It's a, it is a, it's a debate that's happening in it's masturbatory. the halls of... It's onanistic. Yeah. Most people don't give a fuck about it. Like, yeah. there are people who have their hands on the tiller of power, they're exercising power, they don't give a shit about your arguments about language, they don't give a shit about where the asterisk goes. I'm not saying that doesn't mean all those questions don't matter. Yeah. But, you know, like, I have friends who work in, you know, uh, in... in you know, various political officers. I have friends who work in big corporate law firms. I have friends who are consultants or whatever. You know, and I guess lots of people do. And none of those, while they would engage in those conversations, that's not about how society is kind of influenced and changed, these kinds of arguments. No. no in a very not. small, gradual way, maybe, but it just frustrates me to see it seems like all the these interesting people wasting time arguing over shit and picking fights with one another. Like watching, for example, Helen Reyes is a good example in Australia because I really like Helen Reyes' stuff. She's clearly inflammatory a lot of the time. A lot of the time she's really rude. I've had arguments with her. But I think she's really smart. I think she has a lot of really clever things to say about identity politics. And a lot of the stuff she says is basically, why are we arguing over this bullshit? Let's focus on how our economy is structured. We, that's yeah. what we need to focus on. Yeah. Like That's where the nuts and bolts are. Instead of arguing about where the asterisk goes. Because it's easy enough to argue about where the asterisk goes and it's very hard to feel like you're having an effect. <laughs> I, like, see, I don't know. I really don't. And, and this is kind of why I'm talking about this a lot at the moment. Will me eating get caught on this? No, probably. Whatever. No, it makes it seem um, friendly and real. Um, I'll, sit, I'll sit back. No, 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 back. no. I've got the gain fairly low. Um, no, I think... Like, uh, the solution to gay being an insult or like you know you were saying getting called fag is offensive I don't know what the solution to that is certainly it's not I mean you're not going to stop the people who are going to use that term in a derogatory way from using that in a derogatory way that doesn't mean that we shouldn't call them out on it and yell at them for doing it though yeah but they're not the people who get yelled at no. Like, it's almost this thing they where... They do, though. They do. Like, so, for example, there was um, that rugby league player who got punished for calling another player... This is in the under-21 origin. Balmain Tigers guy. I'm not going to remember his name. Yeah. He called someone a, a gay cunt or whatever. Yeah, and he yeah, got yeah. he got fined for, for using the homophobic slur in particular. And Miranda Devine wrote an article saying, yeah, people who run the NRL are gay. Um, and her argument was that the word gay has been redefined by young people using it to mean lame. And that's a wrong argument. It's, it's a very bad argument. and Because that's also because kind that's of exactly the, the point. Yeah, that's exactly the point. But you still need to call people out on it because the only way you can retrain how society... It's like that old... What's the Chinese mantra like? 
you know, what's your thoughts? Because your thoughts become words, because words become actions, because actions become habits, and because habits, I can't remember the end of it, which really screws it up. But, you know, habits become who you are. But they become so, your identity. I think that's correct. But that causal link, following that causal link back to its origins, you're saying... I think you can police behaviour, but it's difficult to start policing The way it gets policed is hard as well. And I think partly it's because it depends on the nature of the conversation. So I've had conversations with people, friends of mine who've used the word gay, and I don't usually give a shit whether people do, like just casually, whatever. But, you know, I had one friend who kind of kept doing it and eventually I was like, can you not do that, man? I don't really give a fuck, like, Mm. but um, it annoys me. Like, it annoys me a little bit, you know? And, And also, I've had actually... When I was at uni, I, um, you know, I went to a debating tournament and I think I was coaching a team there and a kid from another team used the word faggot and I kind of took him aside and said, hey, man, I just want you to know, I don't give a damn about using that word particularly, like it does offend me a little bit, but the bigger problem you're going to have is if you drop that word in a corporate environment, you're going to fuck up your life, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll get punished because yeah. we deal with this stuff simplistically, like yeah. you say. Like I, yeah, see, this is the where I'm kind of, I'm at this weird thing because... I feel offended when people make Jew jokes because mm-hmm. I'm an invisible non-Jew, half-Jew. Mm-hmm. My dad's Jewish. My grandmother, the Holocaust survivor. Wow. I really don't like it when people mm. say, you know, call going to a bargain bin Jewing out. I don't like right. that. I don't. It didn't make me. Do people do that, that yeah, often. They do it quite often. Wow. Yeah. And it. it See, it, but I don't notice that because I'm not conscious me out. of it. Or if people, you know, just the Jews are even even sentences like the Jews own Hollywood. You know, mm. that kind of thing. Just creep me out. So I'm very much aware that I look like an animal while I'm eating a yeah, sandwich. Because that's this grouping and this, like, stereotyping and so on. Yeah, which is totally understandable. And I guess I, I do understand as well why we're Jewish people. And it's almost impossible to have a conversation about Jewish identity without it becoming all about Israel, which is frustrating because... Yes. It's so complicated. Uh, but how I, can you lose the moral high ground so quickly? I know. <laughs> I know, but, but but I understand why Jewish people in particular are sensitive and conscious of those kinds of slurs, given, like, history. A friend of mine, he's, a, he's very Jewish, um, and I say that in the cultural sense. He's, uh, he works for the Israeli government, and uh, he has a little, a little timeline that he has on... A, a, an infographic that it'll show you and it goes it's basically every 200 years it goes pogrom 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 holocaust Mm. like it's not it's not an isolated incident yeah it's a a thing that comes out of yeah typing and stereotyping um there was um there's a documentary about the new york times during world war ii which at the time was owned by uh, a jewish man Mm. and the fact that uh over the course of the war, they ran something like 4,700 stories on the front page in one way or another, mm. and only 17 of them were about the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and the owner refused to run stories about it because he was terrified about the New York Times being characterised as a Jewish publication because of the time. And, and we, we just forget about this. In the lead-up to World War II and during it, the anti-Semitism in the United States, there were some of the most popular preachers in the United States would say things like, boy, you know, we are going to make the Jews wish, you know, they were back in Germany with Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Uh, come. And they were, what's the, the name of that ship, that the refugee ship? That got that, turned around. Yeah, that, that turned back. And, so 
I guess that is the flip side to those arguments about asterisks, is that identity matters and the way we characterise people matters because while things are really good right now, they're not always going to be really good. And when things... Like when the economy goes down or if Australia winds up in a war, those kinds of darker emotions and those darker attitudes that we have as human beings, we like to take our anger and our rage out on things we don't understand and people we don't understand. And it's easy to do that to people who who are gay or who are ethnically different because they're never going to be that powerful. So they're they're easy targets. Yeah, and you have the... um you have the, ver- the the power to be thick-skinned if you don't feel that there is a threat in being yeah. characterised one way yeah. or another. I mean, you, you can say just get over it. And I do think you... I think... Maybe this is it. I think we should be able to get over these things. I don't think words should be as hurtful as they are. They are hurtful. And, you know, I'm on the internet and I'm a woman, so I've had my fair share of yeah. horrible things said to me. I'm sure you me. have, yeah. Um, and they hurt. You know, they feel nasty. But people have a right to say whatever they want. The reason that those things feel so nasty is because there is an implied threat. Because there's this sense that a a, a repeated use of language becomes something more. You know what? I don't feel like people do have a right to say whatever they want. I don't agree with that point of view. I, I don't necessarily think that that automatically translates into we should have laws that punish people in these specific ways for saying these specific things. I don't agree with the Bolt laws, for example, for a variety of reasons. But there are a variety... The more we learn about neurology, the more we understand that ideas once absorbed, certain ideas, basically can't be gotten rid of. You know, yeah. stigma, the anti-vaxxer movement is a perfect example of yeah. that, right? Some of the most... The anti-vaccination movement, you know, for people listening you don't understand it, you know, there was an article in The Lancet in the late 1990s that connected vaccinations for measles and other diseases to autism. Um, there was only one article, and that article has led to... It's been totally disproven now. It misread the correlative evidence of vaccinations happening at the about the age where autism is normally diagnosed and as was, causation. And some of the science was fraudulent to yeah, it. Yeah. Like, the guy has been totally discredited. Lancet's now acknowledged it was yeah. totally discredited, totally wrong. The guy who wrote it has been totally discredited and, you know, is no longer a credible scientist. That still is filtered down. And now the rates of vaccination in Australia, in America and in England are dropping. And they drop uh, at a faster rate in the most educated sections of Australia. So in Dalesford, in kind of the inner north suburbs of Melbourne, where you have some of the most wealthy and highly educated people in the entire country, vaccination rates are dropping. That's because that idea cannot be... We can't pull it out of people. Because no matter how how smart we are, like I think our emotions and take control and it means that even when we're presented with rational evidence even when we're presented with overwhelming amounts of it and there's more and more studies that show show that like for example there's a whole bunch of studies on uh, Obama and uh, people's attitudes to Obama and once people have been told that Obama was a Muslim even when they were presented with incontrovertible proof that he was not a whole bunch of conservative voters still believed he was a Muslim even Mm. when they were shown all this proof because you underrate evidence that contradicts the thing that you already believe you can't change people's points of view I've been kind of reading I've been trying to turn this into a festival show which is really hard yeah well so this is an interesting one Um, like I was told I was bad at maths Mm -hmm. and so I'm always bad at maths I am bad at maths Mm -hmm. Am I bad at maths because... But nobody... Like, okay, so... I was eight. Nobody's bad at maths at eight. Mm. 
Yeah. Nobody is. Like, nobody's bad at anything at eight. You're just learning how to do things. You're just eight. Yeah, yeah. you're just eight. Of course you're not going to be, like, fucking calculus wizard. Yeah. You might not be as fast at learning your times tables as the next person. Yeah. But it was this weird thing where I was super fast at picking up most things, and I was relatively slow at picking up maths. And so you became so the I kid who was bad at maths. bad at maths. Yeah. And then, you know, later on in life, I'm like, oh, why am I bad at maths? And you get, oh, girls aren't very good at maths. Mm, mm. It's just a girl thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes self-reinforcing. And so yeah. that's dangerous speech. It is. But then but, how do you police that? Or like, what... what like, I think maybe understanding that speech has an effect. Well, I think you've is, got to acknowledge, like, the argument that... Comedians often make this when they get into crap. It's just words. It's just words. And it's bullshit. Yeah. They make a living out of words. If they didn't matter, we wouldn't do it at all. Well, yeah. If words couldn't change the way people think, why would we have an advertising industry? Absolutely. Like, uh, it's, it's important and it's influential. Now, I don't know the answer to that question about whether we should police speech or how we should regulate all of it. Whether we should have laws that regulate those kinds of things. I think sometimes we should, sometimes we shouldn't. I guess... I feel like, though, the conversation that we have as a society right now is relatively ill-informed from both sides. This is the other thing as well. This is the kind of the final peg in my, like, confusion and what I'm thinking. Because, like, like I said, as I said, I don't have a conclusion about this. On one hand, I do think yeah. you should be allowed to say what you want. On the other hand, I don't think that you should be allowed to say what you want. On one hand, I think people are being way too oversensitive about uh, being ignored or being left out or being excluded or if there isn't an exact term for the exact thing that they are because every category can just become infinitely small until mm. it's just people, yep. which is maybe what you want. But then on the other hand... Um, like some principles and some people deserve to be offended yeah. some things need to be like you need to be offensive to establish understanding to move society forward yeah yeah there needs to be flexibility there there needs to be a little bit of give like I've used this example before I had a, a colleague who wouldn't shake my hand because of his religious beliefs yeah. he wouldn't touch women right and he found it offensive to have to work with me right especially alone because he couldn't that was not in his religious understanding of the world it was not proper it was not right and it made him feel offended sure it, from my perspective he's wrong mm. and he should be offended because the point of offence is where you challenge something yeah, of being offended is where something challenges your idea of yourself. Yeah. And that should happen. Right. You should challenge your idea. You shouldn't have a principle that you're not willing to challenge and Absolutely. examine. Absolutely. I think that should be true of both kind of, you know, in terms of what we were talking about before with the freedom of speech argument. So I think Andrew Bolt should be allowed to write, you know, a lot of the, the, the dumbass stuff that he writes. Yeah. You know, because it does push society's, you know, nerve points. And I think that can be healthy in some ways. Because it makes you examine your beliefs. Nobody comes to a conclusion on their own. No. You only come through dialogue. There needs to be exchange. And I think it's more problematic when we focus on being offended than we focus on any of the actual ideas. Because being offended is easy. It's a very satisfying reaction. It's brain candy. I'll tell you one of the interesting things. You have to go. Um, uh, we'll bring it back to comedy because this isn't a fun thing, which is that... Um, at the recent Melbourne Comedy Festival, there was a review of a comedian where there was a lot of outrage and pushback. And then that reviewer published an article saying 
that it was really uppity of the fans to come back at him because he was the reviewer and how you know he should be allowed to say whatever he wants. And that's one of the things that I find really interesting. The beautiful ironies, yeah, yeah, sure. Failing to recognise it, yeah, well, but the fans get to do that too. And I think that happens a little bit with this kind of offence culture, yeah. with the trans hashtag, where you're like, well, you get to be offended. Hmm. What if I'm offended? Yeah. Whose offence trumps whose offence? But the thing is, at the end of it, it's fine. Yeah. We can all be offended. Yeah. And then the trick is being willing to take that final step and say, okay, now I'm, I've got the anger out. So what do you actually think? And you've yeah. got to be willing to do that final step. So if I had a chance, I'd love to talk to Andrew Bolt. Yeah. I'd love to actually understand... Why are you such a weird dude? Well, and talk it through with him. I'd love to know exactly what he thinks. And I might be offended by some of the stuff that he says. I might be offended by some of the stuff that the people who are homophobic said. But the worst thing to do be, be offended and walk and away up. or start yeah. chanting at someone. I'll, I'll, maybe we can end this in a story because it's a perfect example of this kind of behaviour at its worst. When I was at the ANU, I was editing the student paper and we had a day... Uh, called Politics in the Court, where a bunch of politicians came down to speak. Tony Abbott was one of those politicians. He was um, health minister then. Yeah. This is in like the mid-2000s. And there were about 500 students all there to hear him, and most of them actively disliked Abbott, right? They were ready to throw some serious questions his way. Fifteen members of Socialist Alternative turned up oh. just as Abbott began to speak, and they had a big signs, and they began chanting, racist, sexist, anti-queer, liberals are not welcome here. Racist, sexist, anti-queer, liberals are not welcome here. Racist, sexist, anti-queer, liberals are not welcome here. And they didn't stop for two hours. So what happened was they came down and surrounded Abbott. He went over, tried to talk to them, didn't work. The whole crowd had to stand up and crowd around Abbott in order to hear his answers and hear the questions he was being asked. So it became this bizarre moment where it looked like we were paying him homage. And, and he deserved it. He, he, in all fairness, he handled it impeccably. A really difficult moment, like really hard, like having people just shout over you. And I disagree totally with Tony Abbott on a whole variety of issues. Yeah. I think he's a bad prime minister. You'd like prime to know what the issues are Absolutely. that you disagree on. You'd like to actually know where your point of difference Absolutely. is. Absolutely, and that's the problem. Are you on the internet, Toby Halligan? I am on the internet. Yes. Yeah. You can go to www.tobyhalligan.com to see stuff that I write. Um, I also write uh, diary leaks, um, which, if you like political satire, is something I write with Matthew Keneally. And I'm on Twitter at Toby underscore Halligan. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's Have been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, I probably this. do need to dash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This should come up. Uh, yeah, I love this kind of conversation. That was really interesting. I really enjoyed that. So, um,